Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I'm Ben McKee, joined as always by the great Eric Kane. Eric, how are you on a Thursday as we get ready to watch the Vols head down to Gainesville? I'm good, man. I'm good. Ready for uh, ready for another weekend of baseball, ready for a weekend in general, and uh, excited to see what Tennessee looks like, especially on Saturday. So it should be interesting. It should be interesting, and we will get to all of that. But first, we are going to discuss Tennessee's midweek win over Bellarmine. Took place on Tuesday night. Tennessee wins nine to three. Uh, Xander Seacrest, Eric, continues to be absolutely terrific in midweek starts. I would really love to see him pitch against a uh, Florida. Uh, but I do understand that the pecking order is quite long right now. It's not Xander's fault. It's not Tony's fault. Not Frank Anderson's fault. They they just recruited so many great arms. We continue to, to discuss how many or how deep this pitching staff is. And one of the the examples of that is a, of the fact that you have a guy in Xander Seacrest who is now 3-0. and uh, he's given up six runs and six walks in 30.1 innings, 35 strikeouts in those 30 innings, and he can't find any innings on the weekend against SEC competition. Uh, just, again, speaks to the depth of Tennessee's pitching staff. Uh, on Tuesday night, to be specific, uh, made a seventh start of the season. Uh, excellent. Once again, 4.1 perfect innings of work. He did not allow a hit. He did not allow a walk. He threw 40 pitches. 31 of his 40 pitches were strikes, which is a remarkable uh, stat. And then he struck out two. So, Eric, to me, the story on Tuesday was that Xander Sechrist continues to really pitch well in these midweek games. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Um, And, again, he kind of – Disrupted his rhythm a little bit when you're trying to get Blake Tidwell back out there and stretch him out when he's coming back from injury the last couple of weeks. And understanding that's, you know, kind of a chink in the armor now because you know, that was very much needed because you're probably going to have to rely on Blake Tidwell in some fashion on Saturday moving forward. But, you know, Seacrest has been awesome. Um, you know, someone, uh, you know, DM'd or just someone tweeted at us a couple of us earlier this week and asked who the most underrated player on Tennessee's baseball team is. And, you know, off the top of my head, I was like, man, you know, before this weekend, Jarrell Ortega, I thought was underrated. Redmond Walsh is underrated. Uh, Will Mabry is the top of the list of underrated. But uh, he threw in Xander Seacrest. And I was like, man, it's hard to argue. You know, Seacrest has been phenomenal so far this year. I like you would be I would love to see you know what it looks like starting a game in the, you know, on the weekends in the SEC. Um, but it's a great problem to have when you just don't have that opportunity yet. Um, so Tennessee's that that's a, again, a credit to Frank Anderson and Tony Vitello for putting Tennessee in that position, but he was phenomenal and, uh, he just continued to shove like he does in midweek games. Yeah. And, and moving forward, I mean, I think he'll get a opportunity at some point. I mean, there's still a, a month uh, to go. I, I believe there's five more weekends of sec baseball before the sec tournament, Tennessee has at Florida this weekend they'll come back home and they'll play auburn at home then they'll go to kentucky they'll host georgia and then they'll go to mississippi state so five more weekends i would imagine that xander gets a crack at some point not to start a game 
not to to go two, three, four innings, but if Tennessee's in a jam and and maybe their bullpen has been worn down some, I could certainly see Xander coming in to to get a lefty. That, that's kind of what Will Mabry's role was last year towards the end. If if Tennessee's in a jam, it's a, a spot where you need a lefty lefty matchup. I can absolutely see Xander coming in and and being very effective. And if if that opportunity does present itself, then as the postseason gets here and there are no midweek games and you last all week at Hoover or maybe you drop a game in a regional or maybe you you do pitch well into Omaha this year, more opportunities will present itself for Xander as long as he stays on this track. And the reason that I do think an opportunity will come and then it'll be up to him as to whether he runs with it or not is because even this past weekend, he got up in the bullpen and, and was warming up. And I want to say that he actually entered one of those games on, on Friday or Saturday. You have to double check. He did. Yes. Was it Saturday after Ali? Um, I, I'll look it up, but I'm, I know he did because um, right. I remember and, and, seeing it. Right. I, I know he was in the bullpen. I just can't remember if he came in for an out or so or if they got out of the inning and then they brought somebody else in to start the next inning. Uh, my, my mind's kind of going blank on me. It's It's been a long week on the Tennessee baseball beat, as we well know. But even the simple fact that he was warming up in the bullpen tells me that in a certain situation, they feel comfortable bringing him in. And I think you'll you'll see some of those opportunities the last month or so of the season. Yeah, I think so, too. And I mean, you know, think about it right now. You hope all goes well this weekend when they try to figure out what's going to happen there um, in, in the second spot of that rotation. But you're in a spot now to where, you know, you it was uh, OK. Sorry, uh, it was not this past weekend, but he did get some action against Missouri a couple weekends ago. So okay. he has and, and he was up in the bullpen. Yeah, this this past weekend. So, yeah, that was I knew I knew he's gotten weekend work before. Uh, looks like he's got work against Missouri, and that's the only the only weekend work, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But nonetheless, uh, you know, you, you had an embarrassment of riches of arms right now, and you still do. But you got to find out, you know, for the time being, potentially, uh, you know, what's what's going to happen here um, uh, in terms of injury situations. How long will that you know prolong with Dolander? Um, you know, what's you're not going straight bullpen. Tennessee could if they wanted to, but. Uh, maybe you'll get an opportunity this weekend potentially, but he's earned it for sure. I mean, he's he's pitched very, very well. I mean, he's been phenomenal in midweek. So wouldn't shock me at all if he gets some type of small role um, in his midweek or excuse me, in his weekend outing so far this season. He just went two thirds of an inning against Missouri earlier this month and, uh, you know, gave up hitting a run in that uh, situation. But uh, certainly has earned an opportunity for sure, because he's been fun to watch. He'll be a, he'll be a good one you know, moving forward for Tennessee, I feel like. Yeah, it kind of feels like the next Redmond Walsh. And yeah. I say Redmond Walsh because he doesn't have stuff that overpowers you. It's more finesse. It's more uh, tinkering with the hitter's timing uh, while on the mound. And if you're somewhat new to the sport of baseball, what that looks like for a pitcher messing with the hitter's timing, because timing is everything for, for a hitter, uh, is – when he's in his pitching motion, uh, if he's in his windup, which is the, the the pitching motion that you use when nobody is on base, you, you kind of straddle the rubber with, with both feet instead of uh, pitching from the stretch, which is when a runner is on base and you, you have your 
practically in front of the mound and one uh, your, your back foot up against the the, the pitching rubber. Um, when when he's in his windup without anybody on base, he is. It's easier to mess with the the hitter's timing because kind of when when you bring it back or you, you lift your leg before you go to the plate, you kind of pause there. Uh, you, you can pause for five seconds if you want to and, and really hold that pause if you can. We've seen some professional pitchers do that. Or you, you can go quick through your motion, and that's kind of Xander's jelly right there. That That is that is his secret sauce is, is that he, he varies how he, he goes about his motion there on the mound, and it really messes with the hitter's timing on top of him not having – uh, a fastball that that really touches 90. I want to say he sits around 87, 88. Uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, I haven't really paid <laughs> great attention to his fastball velo when he's pitched. But y- you pair him messing with the timing by what he's doing w- with his motion and the the plus 80s fastball that is much different than, than what most college pitchers in the SEC are throwing. He's got a wicked breaking ball. And he that that's kind of Redmond Walsh, not necessarily the tinkering with the the hitter's timing, but just in terms of pure stuff it is very similar to Redmond's. And I, I think he'll continue uh, to, to really have hitters off balance, especially if you can piggyback Xander off of uh, a Burns, a Tidwell, a Dolander, a Joyce that just throws absolute gas. And then you come in here and <laughs> he has Xander just throwing his stuff. That, that would be pretty remarkable. On the flip side of Xander, Eric, we did see two pitchers struggle on Tuesday night, and that was J.D. McCracken, a freshman lefty. He made his Tennessee debut, and it did not go well. The first batter that he faced hit a double to right center. For whatever reason, the, the hitter tried to stretch it into a triple. Jarrell Ortega made an excellent relay throw to third, uh, got the out. So you, you did give up a double technically, but it also was the first out of the inning because Jarrell Ortega – just threw an absolute seed to third base and gunned the runner down. But then after that, it, it continued to, to somewhat spiral. He gave up a walk, he gave up a single, and then he gave up a three-run home run, and it cut Tennessee's lead uh, to 5-3 in the sixth. And in that same inning, Ethan Smith, who we have not seen in, in almost two months, he comes in to pitch and relieves J.D. McCracken. Uh, his first appearance since March 8th, so uh, a little over a month and a half. Uh, in just his fourth outing of the season, he struck out the first hitter that he saw, but then he allowed a single and a walk to load the bases. Josh Elander said, we're not playing around anymore. He brought in Mark McLaughlin to relieve Smith, and on three pitches, McLaughlin struck out Bellerman. So on the flip side of Xander pitching well, you had two One making his technical debut. It felt like Ethan Smith was also making a debut. They, they did not pitch well, Eric. No, they didn't. And, you know, it's two guys that's, I mean, for McCracken's case, he's he's not making a season debut. And for Ethan Smith's case, he got a whole lot of run, well, four appearances. But, I mean, it was all there at the beginning of the season. And you thought that there was going to be a defined role for him. And then there was not until there wasn't. And you haven't seen him in quite some time. So it's not shocking. Don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, if, you're, if you haven't been out there under the lights pitching on the mound, I don't care if it's weekend, if it's midweek, whatever. I mean, sometimes it'll hit you a little bit, but, you know, Josh Elander says some good things about McCracken, you know, after the game saying that he's put in the work, he's gotten so much better and that he's going to be a guy that's going to help him in the future. Um, you know, all this, you know, this doesn't define you, all that type of stuff. It is what it is. It's a midweek game. Um, 
midweek games serve major purposes uh, for Tennessee. It's a, you know a chance to get in some arms that need to get in throughout the week, but they used so many arms last weekend where you didn't really it, there wasn't a huge like I guess uh, urgency to get in ten guys in this game like you've seen in in, in weeks past, right? So he had an opportunity for Ethan Smith to get out there and for JD McCracken and uh, ultimately got hit around a little bit, but. Uh, nonetheless, it, it didn't define Tennessee. Of course, that game was you know, slow moving, no hits for, for quite some time. And then, you know, it's like the floodgates open, right? But uh, Tennessee's offense came to play. And, uh, you know, ultimately that didn't, uh, that wasn't an issue in the, in the long run. Nope. Uh, yeah. Mark McLaughlin and Kirby Connell come in the game and, and write the ship for an inning or so while the bats heated up. You, you, it was a very funky game. You, you said it perfectly there. Neither team had a hit until the fifth inning. To the fifth inning, neither team yeah. had a hit. The first four innings went by in 45 minutes, which is a dream for if a you're covering, game. Yeah, especially for a midweek game. But if you're covering a baseball game, it's kind of like that whole, I mean, you love being out there and everything, but, I mean, gosh, these games can go three and a half hours sometimes, and it's just, oh, my God, get it over with, right? You're just humming along like that. It's like, okay, we have a no-no, sure, but, like, nobody scored. I mean, you're just moving and moving and moving. You always know that at some point it's going to get bad, <laughs> you know, yes. in terms of timing. But, yes. it, you know, that, that was a good thing for Tennessee because obviously scored, you know, three in the uh, – or, excuse me, scored four in the fifth, scored a pair in the – you know, scored a run in the fourth and the sixth inning, had two in the seventh, uh, essentially scored in every single inning outside of the first three, and so they made it worth their while. Yes, and one of those innings, their first run, they, they didn't even <laughs> have a hit to mm -hmm. produce the run. It was a, a couple of walks and an error that <laughs> that led to the run. Bellarmine's just not a good baseball team. Seven and 24, I believe. 29. 29 entering mm -hmm. the game. Just just not great. Uh, the, the, the final couple of notes from that game before we move on uh, with the hitting, since we did talk pretty extensively about the pitching, is that aside from neither team tallying a hit until the bottom of the fifth when Jarrell Ortega and Jordan Beck hit back-to-back -back singles, how about Kyle Booker starting, getting some run in center field? Nothing to worry about Drew Gilbert, just trying to get Kyle Booker going. Uh, dealt with the wrist injury, I believe, to, to kind of start the season, the first month or so of the season, and just been hard to find him reps. Finally gets some reps on Tuesday, and with the bases loaded, he cracks a bases-clearing double to give Tennessee a 4 nothing lead. And then Logan Steenstra, he comes from – or he's up next and, and then hits an RBI double to score Booker, made it 5 nothing, and then they were able to score a little later in the game, as you mentioned, Kane. But good to see Kyle Booker and, and Logan Steenstra pick up some hits. Maybe, maybe that can get them going. Not that they're going to have extensive playing time anytime soon. But, hey, A, you never know – when an injury is going to pop up yep. and B you, you never know when Kyle Booker or Logan Steenstra is going to be thrust into a pinch hitting role. It could be with the game on the line that at some point you, you just never really know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Booker get the opening day start or am I, am I off here? I can't remember. I think he got the opening day start and left. I could be wrong, but it, it, that's a guy that everybody asks about literally everybody asks about just, you know, as you pointed out, suffered an injury and everything. And then you've got some guys who were playing pretty well and left, you know, ever since then. So it's one of those situations where it's, you, you, I mean, sure, you could have, you could have helped yourself out a little bit more. You get hurt, but also you come back and there's nothing to come back to. And so it was good to see him 
get in there and midweek game, perfect time to give your, uh, your, your stud of a center fielder a night off. That lineup was fun to watch. That's what midweek games are all about. Right. Um, and how about in a game to where you didn't pick up your first hit until the fifth inning, <laughs> Terrell Ortega gets four hits. <laughs> SEC Player of the Week. He just continued his hot streak. Four hits for Ortega, hitting uh, there in the uh, in the two hole. There, four for five, drove in a run, scored three. So obviously, um, he is he is vibing at the plate right now, and you hope that carries over into the weekend. But it was good to see a lot of guys get some abs. Blake Burke got three three at bats. Of course, Charlie Taylor, Taylor your your midweek guy behind the plates. Um, he was in that lineup, got four abs. Um, so it's good to see a lot of guys get in there. In in honor of Jarrell Ortega being from Puerto Rico, Poppy is in fuego at the moment. <laughs> that that I, I love seeing Jarrell Ortega because he's so happy and he always has a smile on his face. But whenever he sees me, like even when we're in the football facility waiting for press conferences and stuff, he'll walk by me and say, "Hey, Poppy, how are you?" Like he he, re- <laughs> he refers to everybody as Poppy, and it, it makes me feel really cool. I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. I, I don't know why, but him him calling me Poppy makes me makes me feel cool. Um, so it, it'll be a it'll you be made a it. cool. Yeah, I, Mama, I made it. I I can retire now. I may put that in my Twitter bio. Um, but it, it'll be a really cool weekend for him. I, I went into a tangent, if you want to call it that, uh, on our previous podcast, just describing uh, the the cool story that is Jarrell Ortega. Uh, from Puerto Rico, played high school ball in Florida. Obviously, Tennessee plays at Florida this weekend, and, and he's going to have a ton of family in attendance. He has people flying up from Puerto Rico, and and he was saying after the game on Tuesday that he'll have over 20 people in attendance. So, so that'll be really cool, and I'm sure it'll be easy to spot out where his family is. Josh Elander, the first guy he took a recruiting trip for here at Tennessee was to see Jarrell Ortega. So that I thought that was kind of interesting after last weekend. Yes, very, very cool. Looking ahead to the weekend, we'll, we'll get into Tennessee, Florida here in a moment, uh, but do want to discuss Tony Vitello's media availability from Thursday morning. The first time that we've heard publicly from Tony Vitello uh, since. So he, he can was, speak. Everybody he, says, is it yes. against the rules? And we're like, I don't know. I mean, he's not going to speak after the midweek game, after the Saturday and Sunday game, of course, but. We'll have to wait till Thursday to see if he's allowed to speak. He didn't make his appearance on John and Jimmy. Uh, also, the, the 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 name of the show, Sports Talk, we always call it John and Jimmy, which I think is hilarious. Uh, but he can speak, and he spoke earlier on Thursday, so that's good. Yes, uh, he he has come out of hiding, and he, <laughs> he did meet with the media for the first time since he was ejected and suspended four games. He was asked why he got suspended, and if you follow FallQuest.com or listen to this podcast, it was no surprise as to why he was suspended. Uh, His exact quote was, Frank stood up in the middle of the inning. I wasn't sure what was going on. I was talking to one of the guys to the right of me about their pesky leadoff guy, Jarvis, Jim Jarvis, uh, to to be exact, is uh, pretty dang good. He was standing up. I believe we had it accurate that they were relaying pitches. There's nothing in the rule book that says it is illegal to do that. It's up to us. And Frank admitted the same thing to make sure you are not tipping signs or the catcher's hand is out to where people could see that. He was just defending his pitcher in a weird combination of things. It spirals into a deal where we've got dough down on the ground, referring to Dollander and a lot of pain. That is where he was coming from and he was letting off some steam. That was my initial argument 
that this is an emotional moment. Coach Bohannon, who we know well, is well off in the distance. That is how that whole deal started. And then he was asked what he was told on the field. And he said he is not allowed to threaten another coach the way that he was. My defense of Frank, which I'm always going to defend Frank. And at the moment, I was out on the field to do what I can for Dolander, which is not a lot. It was secondary to our trainer, Woody. Then also, my wheels are already spinning. You have to have a little bit of a cold heart in that moment. Who is our next pitcher going to be? I will always defend Frank in that situation. My defense for him was he was blowing off some steam in an emotional situation. He has to call pitches. You don't want the other team to know what is coming. You never want to see one of your kids hurt or anyone get hurt on the other team either. So um, you can pretty much fill in the blanks there if, if you have any blanks. But the two things that stood out to me, Eric, is that A, they they were annoyed by Alabama relaying pitches to the hitters. But B, as we discussed, they also recognize that it's not against the rules to do what Alabama was doing. What set Frank off was that the hitters being relayed pitches to resulted in Chase Dolander, who leads the SEC in strikeouts, laying on the ground with an injury that in the moment it looked, looked, looked really bad. Uh, and the sound was, was off, was awful. So just the, the emotions of seeing Dolander on the ground is essentially what got Frank going. Uh, but good on Tony admitting that both he and Frank understand that they weren't doing anything illegal and it's up to them to make sure that no team can can steal signs or, or be tipped off by what they are doing. Again, I have two questions, and I know you, I've asked you this a couple times this week. I asked you this the night it happened. I know a lot of people have been asking everybody that. I mean, how, I want to know how that's possible with nobody on base. I truly do. I, I I don't know how that's possible. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just I just want to know how that's possible. Well, I think I think uh, third base coach, which was Brad Bohannon, Alabama's yeah. head coach. I don't know exactly how he was seeing the sign, but my interpretation is, is that he was tipping pitches to the hitter either by the way Evan Russell was, was setting up, which would make sense as to why Tony Vitello said, uh, Frank admitted the same thing, make sure you are not tipping signs or the catcher's hand is out mm -hmm. to where people can see that. So uh, sounds like maybe Bohannon, the third base coach, the head coach, uh, was picking up something from Evan by the way he was setting up or by something that Dollander was doing. Because obviously, and you know this, Eric, but the, these coaches and, and programs, they go back and watch every single thing that Dollander has done this season. And if they if they pick up like, hey, he does his glove like this before it, before he throws a curveball or yeah. throw, before he throws a fastball, maybe they picked up on something like that before the series. Yeah, uh, you know that's that, that's a good point. I just, I mean, when I, when I was sitting there and watching it in real time, and then whenever I saw the, you know, w with what you were saying in the thread and everything, I'm just like, well, how does that even work? So, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 easy to pick up on things. That's why you watch film. You're exactly right. I mean, you do it for every single sport. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's not against the rules. I mean, baseball's got a million unwritten rules. Some I think are valid because I'm an old man. Others. I think are stupid. Um, you know, not bunting to, to break up a no hitter. I think that's the stupidest unwritten rule in baseball. I don't want to get no hit. I'm going to do everything I can to get on base. You know what I'm saying? But oh my gosh, take me to the grave for some people if that happens. But another question I have for you, and I know you'll probably have the answer to this. 
When Anderson got tossed Saturday, who called pitches? Josh Elander. Okay. So, I mean, I, I figured it had to be him, but obviously just, you know, take, taking that out of the equation, I didn't know. I mean, Tony wasn't there as well. So, I figured it was Elander. I just didn't know if maybe they had a, a you know, a, a reserve plan for that type of situation as well. Yeah. Elander played catcher in college, and, and Tony yeah. even said today during his media availability that he's got that, experience and because yes. he's, yeah, all that type of stuff, yeah. So. And that he actually called pitches in college, which is unheard of. Yeah. It is very, very rare that a that a catcher in college calls pitches. That that is typically coming from the dugout, uh, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. A couple of other now you got an earpiece in this year too. So yep, that that's right. And uh, I, I did see some. Hey, why doesn't Tennessee adopt the the comms uh, thingamabobber that uh, the, the major leagues are are doing? The comm system is, I guess, what they're calling it. Uh, they already have that. <laughs> if you notice the the back of Evan's chest protector, the straps, it has like a battery looking thing on it, and there's a wire that leads up to his ear. He has an earpiece in that that is telling him pitches. And if you look in the dugout, Frank Anderson has a walkie-talkie that he's talking into, sharing pitches. And then you know, Elander. I was gonna say, you know, that it's got to be annoying because. They are barking out orders that are just not pitches, too. It's like, God, shut up. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, I, know, I would hate so. that. I always thought about it, too. I mean, I never, obviously, never, you know, never played the National Football League. Shocker. But, I mean, those guys have a thing in their helmet or something to where they can call the defense. You know, quarterback has one on offense. Usually a linebacker and a safety has one on defense. That would be so annoying. It's like, dude, shut up. Let me play. <laughs> Yes, it would be uh, very annoying. It's a it's a skill that I don't think people realize. But mm-hmm. uh, to to wrap up what Tony had to say Thursday, he had a couple of other comments uh, that stood out to me. Uh, he said that he's not allowed to be at the stadium this weekend as a result of his suspension. Said he'll be with the team up until they leave for the game, and then he'll have to watch on watch ESPN with everybody else and deal with the one minute lag. That is very frustrating. Said have fun. It is what it is, probably deserving. <laughs> he said, uh, Tuesday was miserable. I'm not looking for sympathy. I deserved it, but it ain't fun. It's a challenge for sure. And and this quote really stood out to me. Uh, Tony Vitello said, we've had three weekends in a row where politics have popped up. I am looking forward to just ball. Maybe it'll help with me not being out there. So can certainly understand that from Tony Vitello. You had the incident at Vanderbilt with the bats. With with Missouri, there hasn't been anything public, but a little frustration from Tennessee side of things with, with maybe some things that Missouri was accusing Tennessee of. And, and then this past weekend, you obviously had to deal with Frank Anderson and, and Tony Vitello being ejected and suspended. So let, let's see if uh, – I believe it when I see it, Eric, but let's see if Tennessee can play a, a weekend of baseball in Gainesville that is drama-free. I mean, what are you waiting on? You should fire the guy, right? Drama falls him. <laughs> just, just get rid of him. Hey, this is this is a perfect little test run for Elander, right? No. Nah. I, I think that if you're the number one team in the country, you'll certainly take a little bit of drama every weekend. Because, again, everybody's out to get you. They're doing whatever it takes to knock you off, and that just kind of comes with the territory. But I'm with you. I'll believe it when I see it, but as long as Tennessee continues to win games, I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> no. Tennessee's the, the number one team in the country. And, and the drama isn't like the world's worst you know like it's not it's not the end of the world it 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 really is not but i do think it would be good for tennessee to have a 
a drama-free weekend, if if not a couple. Looking at this weekend, Tennessee, Florida, in Gainesville. Tennessee, the number one team in the country. Florida not ranked, which if you would have told me that before the season, I would have said that, that you are crazy because Florida benefited from the draft heavily, had a, a couple of different guys not be drafted as high as they anticipated and return to school. Uh, game one and game two this weekend will both start at 6.30. Chase Burns, he'll start for the Vols. Uh, and then Drew Beam will start on Sunday for the Vols. That game is at 12 on Sunday. And the biggest storyline this weekend is the projected rotations, Eric. Not only will Chase Dolander not be able to pitch this weekend, but Florida's ace, in huge, huge, huge news, Florida's ace, Hunter Barco, is, is also not going to be able to pitch, and, and that is a huge blow for Florida, I mean, you really can't overemphasize just how big of a blow it is. First, I'll tell you how Hunter Barco got hurt, and that is because he is dealing with elbow discomfort in his throwing arm, which is never a good yeah, sign. Yeah, it's not good. Not good at all. Uh, during his last start against Vanderbilt last Friday night, uh, he was lacking his typically potent breaking ball, is what the internet says. Uh, while his fastball was missing some velocity, he was removed from the game after just two innings. Kevin O'Sullivan said after the game that it was a byproduct of him recovering from a recent illness that left him feeling weaker on the mound. But Barco left the mound against Vanderbilt and was clearly shaking his left arm. He was also observed wearing a compression sleeve on that arm during Florida's midweek game against Stetson on Tuesday night. And then Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball reported Wednesday afternoon that he will be out for the foreseeable future due to elbow discomfort in his throwing arm. And as I mentioned, this is huge news. And for a couple of different reasons, Eric, A, he is one of the best pitchers in the country. He, he was likely going to be a first-round pick. It, it would have been an upset if he had not been a first-round pick. He was named to the midseason Golden Spikes Award. Uh, he leads Florida pitchers with 69. Nice strikeouts and a 187 batting average against. Uh, so obviously he is a stud, but also the, the bigger concern, and it's not that a loss like this to any team wouldn't hurt, but like say Dolander had broken his elbow or fractured it, however you want to describe it. Like, yes, that would have been a big loss, but hey, here's Blake Tidwell. <laughs> Slide him into the rotation. Florida doesn't have that. Florida is is really struggling this season with its pitching depth and has been unable to, to really find any pitching depth behind Barco. Uh, it's a Florida team that has struggled to find consistency uh, outside of Barco. If you remove Hunter Barco's 2.50 ERA over 50.1 innings from the team's total, Florida pitchers have an ERA that sits just a tick below five. They, they have not been good at all on the mound outside of Hunter Barco. And this injury cannot come at a worse time as they really need some wins, Eric. Yeah, they do. Um, and, you know, you, I don't care who you play for. Young man's got a bright future. You, you hope that he's okay. I mean, it, oh, it's cringeworthy, right? I mean, whenever you have elbow discomforts and you're a pitcher, just awful. But at least nowadays to where if you do suffer this long and, you know, tough road of a, of a maybe a Tommy John or something like that, you get to come back and you're going to be just fine. There was a point in time in baseball to where that was not the case. But 
Uh, you hope that he's going to be, be okay for his future. But for Tennessee, you catch a break this weekend, right? And uh, a chance to pick up some more SEC wins, another SEC series a victory, and potentially a sweep on the road against a, a program that is, you know, phenomenal, that is, you know, not playing up to its standard uh, this season. And, you know, for Blake Tidwell, you brought him up there about how him he's been able just to slide in there. I mean, I think that there's still a lot of questions on, you know, how long can he go? How far stretched out is he right now? Um, he's certainly not the where, you know, the other two are. Could he go 50, 60 pitches? I don't know. Um, I, I think you're looking if, if – w- we would assume that he's going to get a bulk of the work on sun- Saturday, whether it be a piggyback type situation. He's going to be paired with somebody, right? Uh, and that would be the perfect situation. This prob- this will not happen because you pitched four innings in a third a couple days ago. Like, a Xander Seacrest with a Blake Tidwell piggyback situation would be perfect on a game like this. But Tennessee has so many different arms that you can rely on to come in and, and help out, and that's – that's just the luxury you're at right now uh, in the season and, and because you're such a good team. So my question will be for, for Titty, you know, how, how far stretched out is he? How far can he go? Because he's pitched two innings one time so far in his appearances. I'd be intrigued to see if he can get through three or four uh, if, if he were to start a baseball game. That's the big question, and yeah. that is why I say the pitching rotation for the weekend is the biggest storyline going into the weekend. You have the Barco situation with Florida on Friday night, and they did come out today and say that Ryan Slater, a redshirt freshman, he will start on Friday night. It'll be just his second start of the season. Now, he has pitched plenty, has pitched 30 innings, 13 appearances, even has two saves on the season. He has been one of Florida's better pitchers this year, a 3.52 ERA, 24 hits in 30 innings, 30 strikeouts in 30 innings, only 11 walks in those 30 innings. So statistically, Ryan Slater looks good on paper, uh, but he is a redshirt freshman and he is making his second start of the season. So that is part of the reason I think the pitching is the biggest storyline. And then as you got into the Game two starter for Tennessee. Tennessee, in its game notes, said that it is TBD. TBD is going to be taking the mound for Tennessee. And as somebody quote tweeted me and said, that blade dude. And <laughs> I, I, I I love the intentions of that tweet. And, and I do think that we will see Blade Tidwell start on Saturday, uh, barring a late setback. And uh, I think that Camden Sewell will follow up Blade Tidwell. I, I think Camden Sewell is the guy that will piggyback Blade, assuming that uh, Camden is, is still doing okay after the the bone bruise that he suffered when he got hit in a line drive against Alabama when he was filling in for Chase Dolander. So uh, I have those same questions that you have that that you mentioned about Blade. How long can he go? Uh, I I said last week. Hey, watch out! I, I think Blade could be unleashed if the 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 correct situation presented itself. And here we are. The situation has presented itself. I, I don't think Blade's going to go out and throw 100 pitches. I don't. I don't even really think he'll get to 80. But I, I think 60, 60-ish, maybe 70. And we'll we'll see how efficient his innings are in terms of pitch count. But I mean, I, I think four, five, maybe six innings, and, and then you go to Camden Sewell is what will probably be the plan going into the game for Saturday. I mean, I think that would be letting letting him loose, right? I mean, 
anything north of 50, it's like, okay, let's start, you know, let's do this a pitch by pitch basis. In my opinion, um, certainly I'm not a pitcher pitching coach, but it's just, I mean, it's all about progression. Right. And so if he gets to 60, 65, I think that, you know, and you, and you leave with the lead, that's okay. That that's awesome. Right. Because you have so much faith. You have faith when he's on the mound anyway, don't get me wrong, but you have faith in the bullpen as well. So I'm intrigued to see how all that works out. Um, you know, as he continues to, 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 you know, pitch this season and stretch out and everything, you know, there could be a point in time in two weeks where he can get up to that 80 pitch count by, and the, the thought process all along was get him to where he can go the distance if he has to, you know, come SEC tournament time. And you're certainly on that progression to still, uh, to still do that. So um, I'm excited to see what he looks like. Uh, again, like you said, nothing's beneficial, but uh, you know, I believe as well that he, I mean, just makes so much sense, right? I mean, he's, he's a starting pitcher. Just, I don't want people to say, Oh, he's getting the start. I mean, everybody, you know, just the, the common fan was like, oh, he's getting the start. Okay, Blade Tidwell, All-American, let's go. He's going to shove. No, he was going to pitch one inning in his season debut, right? Don't expect 10 strikeouts and eight innings on Saturday because that's just not going to happen, right? Um, at least yet. So intrigued about that. Also about the you know injury situation for Florida. They're going to get in that bullpen. Same situation with Blade Tidwell, right? You got Ryan Slater, who's been really good for you this season. They're going to get in that bullpen early on a Friday night, and you know that's. I mean, he can he can go great and pitch three four innings. That'd be awesome. You're still going to the the, the bullpen earlier than you would initially want with your ace out there, obviously. So, um, that is a good sign for Tennessee getting that bullpen early on a Friday night. Tennessee's had to do that the last two weeks. You we were all asking the Volquez chat on Monday. You know, when do you start to worry about Chase Burns? I think you and I both kind of answer the same way. It's like you're not worried about him. He's still so young. It's only been two starts, but you know, if, if you don't, if you don't get out of the fourth this week, then, you know, maybe, maybe there's a, it's like, okay, so what is the issue right now? If you struggle for the third straight week, you don't have to be lights out, but if you struggle for the third straight week, it's like, okay, so what is the issue? I think this is a big start for Chase Burns. The Florida pitching is why I feel very, very confident that Tennessee is going to win the series this weekend. I, I'm, I'm not going to call for the sweep. I've said this before. I said it going into Ole Miss, said it going into Vandy. Just weird to predict a sweep on the road in the SEC. And Florida's really good at home. They, they, they've been inconsistent, but they have consistently been good at home. Uh, but the, the Florida pitching is why I am confident that Tennessee will win the series and, and why I would not be surprised if Tennessee were to sweep the Gators. I really would not be that surprised because of the pitching. You mentioned them going into the bullpen early on Friday night. If if Florida has to do that, I, I think that is just an awful scenario for Florida because they're coming off of a Tuesday midweek game in which they beat Stetson. Uh, I believe it was ten to nine. Uh, maybe it was ten to eight. It, it was a close game, but it took seven pitchers. Seven pitchers, including redshirt freshman closer Blake Purnell, who has been their second-best arm out of the bullpen, to beat Stetson. So the, the Florida pitching staff has been butt-booty terrible outside of Hunter Barco. The bullpen is not very good. It has, like, one guy and really two guys. Uh, Nick Firicata, I don't know. He's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, he's, he's pitched in the most innings out of the bullpen, 20 appearances, 40 innings, but he has a 4.28 ERA. And then the guy that I just mentioned, their closer, Blake Purnell, he's a redshirt freshman. He's been really good. Four saves, 
33 innings this year and had a 1.62 ERA. But outside of Blake Purnell, it's not very good. 4.28 ERA, 6.11, 5.63, 8.80, 3.14 for a COVID senior who has only thrown 14 innings this season, 9.88. ERA, 8.59 ERA, a 2.84 ERA for a guy who's only thrown six innings. The bullpen is pretty much non-existent. Barco's not pitching. You're already struggling to find some (laughs) rhythm in the rotation. Now you've got a redshirt freshman making his second start of the season on Friday. Sunday, you also have another freshman, Brandon Neely, starting. Uh, Brandon Sprout, who is supposed to be a top prospect, he's starting on Saturday and has an ERA of nearly five and again you're coming off of a midweek game against Stetson where you had to use seven pitchers and not because they had a plan to get guys work like Tennessee's been doing but because they were getting shelled uh on on Tuesday like yes they they had to go to those guys to to win the game so Eric if that situation that you presented plays out to where they have to go into the bullpen early and and often this weekend I mean I I think Tennessee's going to run away with the series and again, that's what I fully expect. Again, Ryan Slater can go out there and pitch lights out, but he's not going to be pitching five innings, right? He's a reliever. Uh, so, I mean, you're going you're gonna to go into that bullpen early, in, in my opinion. So I think that sets up, as you pointed out, just great for Tennessee. Um, I just, you know, Florida to me is just, again, respect Florida, respect the, respect the program. I mean, you got to, but they've been so up and down this year. I mean, they just... You know, I mean, it's certainly not going to lay over. Certainly, it's going to be tough. And I like you. I don't. I'm not predicting a sweep. Um, you know, I hardly ever would predict a sweep on the road in SEC play. That's just the nature of the beast. But you know, dropped two or three to Vanderbilt on the road last weekend. Took two or three from Arkansas two weeks ago, which was huge, right? Uh, prior to that, they were swept at Georgia, which is a pretty good ball club this year. Dropped two or three against LSU before that. Took two or three against Alabama. So I mean, they, again, they've been a little hot and cold, but two weeks ago, they looked really, really good against Arkansas. They have the talent to beat Tennessee. There's no doubt about it. You mentioned some of their series wins. Uh, Arkansas, most notably, they they swept a a really good Georgia State team at the beginning of the year. That's going to be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, And and there's some other series wins. They they went to Miami uh, and and won a series at Miami. Uh, So they, they certainly have the talent to do so. But I think the pitching, the lack of pitching, and the lack of depth in their lineup, and before we get out of here, I do want to point out some things about Florida's lineup because we've been so pitching heavy. Uh, if if tennis – and it's really here, – here's the two keys to Tennessee being successful this weekend, Eric. A, you've got to make it out of the first three innings. Or, or to be more exact, you have to win the first three innings. When Florida does not win the first three innings of the game – they are five and 13, five and 13. When they are leading after three innings, they're 18 and one. So Tennessee's going to have to win. It's a good stat. Shout out to Florida game notes. Tennessee is going to have to win the, the first three innings. And why is there such a, a big discrepancy? It's because Florida doesn't have consistent starting pitching. So if Tennessee can jump on these, these young starters, early they should be fine so win the first three innings the other one is the the pitching staff as a whole Tennessee's pitching staff as a whole has to handle the middle of the lineup because they just hit bombs they drive in runs Wyatt Langford can do everything yes they they are 
<laughs> a lot to deal with. And, and you mentioned Wyatt Langford, but their best hitter is Judd Fabian, who was a second-round pick. A second-round pick this past draft and turned down the money to sign with the Red Sox to come back to Florida. And, and he is having a terrific season, 16 homers, nearly 40 RBIs, which is pretty crazy that, put put it like this, Judd Fabian, 16 homers, 37 RBIs. Trey Lipscomb, 15 homers, 57 RBIs. So that tells you a lot about Florida's lineup that this dude has 16 homers, only 37 RBIs because outside of the middle of Florida's lineup, they don't have a lot of guys that get on base, whereas Trey Lipscomb has been able to drive in a lot of runs. And part of that is where the guys hit. Trey Lipscomb hits fifth. Judd Fabian hits second. Um, but that, that middle of the lineup, if Tennessee can – survive uh there they'll be good you mentioned Wyatt Langford he's a sophomore hits in the four hole their left fielder he's hitting 348 he has 13 homers a team high 14 multi-hit games this year uh he, he has been terrific but uh two through five that that's what you got to watch if you're Tennessee's pitching staff Judd Fabian in the in the two hole their center fielder Sterling Thompson the three hole hitter he plays right field Wyatt Langford the four hole hitter he plays left field and then B.T. Rapelli, their catcher, who hits in the five-hole. Uh, Eric, two, three, and four, they they just absolutely mash. Judd Fabian, his 16 home runs lead the SEC and are tied for fourth nationally. Wyatt Langford, the guy that you mentioned, he's hit 13 homers. That's fourth in the SEC, 24th in the country. And then the catcher, B.T. Rapoli, he's hit 12. Uh, and... Only one other trio in the country has hit more home runs than that trio who have combined for 41. A trio at Old Dominion has combined for 46. And then Florida is one of 12 teams in the country with three players hitting double-digit homers and one of two teams in the country with three 12-plus homers. And then we obviously know uh, Tennessee hits a ton of homers. Tennessee leads the country with 88. Florida is fifth with 71 and this is going to be florida's best power hitting team under kevin o'sullivan they've hit 71 home runs in 37 games which matches its total from all 60 games last season wow. uh, they're on pace to hit 105 which would be the most under kevin o'sullivan and the most they've hit since 2002 when they hit 111 so if you're tennessee win the first three innings and survive the middle of the lineup, they do that, they'll be fine. I still can't get over how Fabian turned down second-round money to come back. You talk about the definition of betting on yourself, and it looks like it's going to pay off for him. But, oh, my goodness, that is – I mean, that's almost insane, if we're being completely honest right now. But I guess good for him. But now I'm with you. I mean, Tennessee, there's still – again, we talk, we, got, we talk about the checks and balances every single weekend, you know, leading into the weekend. I mean, Tennessee, by and large, still the better baseball team win the first three innings, get through the heart of the order. Um, you know, the good thing about when you're comparing the, the lineups and the orders, I mean, you know, Florida's got a really, really good heart of the order, three, four, five, two, as you mentioned, two, three, four, five. And Tennessee's still stacked, you know, one through nine. And, what you know, what a luxury to have. So intrigued to see how Chase Burns responds. The Saturday situation unravels. And Drew Beam, see if he continues to just look sharp, occur high in strikeouts last time he was out. And, Another big weekend for Tennessee, which you know should win the series, but I like you not going to predict a sweep simply because uh, it's just, it, especially this stage in the season, it's always just tough uh, in the SEC to do that. Game one, Friday night, six thirty. 
game two on Saturday night, also at 6.30. And then the series finale on Sunday will begin at noon. All times Eastern, all games can be viewed on SEC Network Plus. So no games on television this weekend. So get those streaming devices ready. I will be in attendance. We'll have plenty and full coverage at VolQuest.com throughout the weekend. Uh, it is not going to be a fun drive back for me Sunday after the game. So may not get a pod till Tuesday morning. We'll, 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 see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. So uh, bear with me. Hey, may, look, I got an eight-hour drive. Maybe uh, we can get Eric on the Zoom here and, and we can record while I'm driving back. I, I don't know how much I, I trust South Georgia and uh, a connection even over the phone. But, hey, may, maybe we can try it and, and get it out Sunday uh, afternoon. So Eric, enjoy your weekend, my friend. Hey dude, have fun, uh, safe travels. And, uh, I'm jealous. You get to go cover, uh, sec baseball should be a whole lot of fun, but, uh, for real safe travels and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll hit this podcast up when you get back. Appreciate you buddy. And appreciate you, the listener for tuning in and listening. He's Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. Everybody have a great weekend.